0: I'm not very good with equipment. I always the lights and the buttons, and it's really confusing. But I've been doing real good lately. Karen is very proud of me. I want to start with some math tonight. That's the right brain, right? It's the right side? Is that right? Okay. One plus one is what? Oh, you guys are sharp. One plus one plus one is what? How about ten thousands times ten thousands plus one thousands times one thousand? <laughs> now, we'll come back to that. We'll come back. <laughs> we'll come back to that. A few years ago, I bet some of you've read this book uh, written by John Eldridge and Brent Curtis uh, called *The Sacred Romance*. How many? How many of you read this book? Uh, I'd recommend it to you. I mean, I. I uh, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't agree with everything they say, but the thrust of the book is very, very good. It's very, very good. It's their take on the heart of Christianity, and they say at its core, it is a love story. I think they're right. At its core, it is a romance between God and the redeemed. I've always loved the word romance in relation to the gospel. I think... It fits. Um, And I really like what they said about the human heart in this book. Um, I can remember reading this sentence. I remember where I was sitting. I remember reading that sentence. And I remember everything in me responded positively. I think this is right. Now, you may not feel as strongly about it as I did, but it resonated in my heart. I believed it was true when I read it. So here's the quote. There is in the heart of every man, woman, and child... A deep and profound longing for intimacy, beauty, and adventure. Think about it. I don't know if it resonates with you as it did with me, but I know one thing. I hunger for intimacy. I hunger for beauty. And I hunger for adventure. I know that's true in my heart. Intimacy. To be known completely and to completely know. To know unconditional love and perfect acceptance. To perfectly desire and pursue and to be perfectly desired and pursued. To share perfect oneness, tenderness, kindness, and mutual delight. Doesn't your heart hunger for that? Uh, beauty, to see it and to delight in it, to be in awe of it, to savor it, as C.S. Lewis says, to enter into it, to be enveloped in it. adventure, to be fully engaged in our, all of our capacities and abilities and talents, talents in a, in a thrilling endeavor, to be on a great quest, to be involved in exploits. Now i 'm talking about the kind of intimacy and, and beauty and adventure that Jesus Christ brings to a life okay it 's the kind that, that will take your breath away if you 're paying attention now, all of this stuff sounds a little bit like it sounds a little bit like fairy tales, right? Well, you know why fairy tales are so popular and why they endure? guess why? Because they resonate in the heart of human beings. Fairy tales are about uh, and courage and passion and sacrificial love and self, selfless forgiveness beauty and adventure and intimacy and oh yeah happily ever after fairy tales are about all these things let me read you a quote from uh, some guy whose name I can't pronounce but let me just read it to you um, the world of the gospel contains all the elements of the world of fairy tale with one notable exception the gospel's truth it's true. Not only did it happen once upon a time, it is still happening and it will happen for countless eternities. Don't you love that? The pursuit of perfect intimacy, beauty, and adventure. That's what Adam and Eve were up to in the garden before they rebelled against the Word of God. As we, I've said a thousand times in this pulpit, I bet, Colossians 1.16, we were made by Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ. He designed us to be beings of deep and profound intimacy. He designed us to hunger and thirst after beauty. He designed us to seek out and pursue adventure and He made us for happily ever after. You may remember John ten ten that we covered some months ago. I came that you might have life and that you might have it what? Abundantly. And these elements that I'm talking about uh, are part of that abundant life. I looked up some synonyms for abundant Basically, Jesus is saying, I give you life in large quantities. So let me ask you, if you're a professing Christian here tonight, do you have life in large quantities? If you're walking with Him, you will. If you're stretching your faith, you will. If you're going deep with God, you will. One paraphrase says it like this, Jesus gives more and better life than you can even dream about. I love this stuff. Another paraphrase says, Jesus gives life in superabundance. He gives full the fullness of life, a life of intimacy with Him, a life of beauty in Him, a life of adventure following Him. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the math question. What is one plus one? You guys are pretty smart. Because one man plus one woman equals what? God says one plus one equals one. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. So what is one plus one plus one? God says the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one God. Deuteronomy 6.4, Matthew 28.19. So what is ten thousands times ten thousands plus one thousands times one thousand? Some of you may recognize that's a reference to all of the worshipers who will be around the throne of God. In our text tonight, Jesus says they are one. They are one. Friends, I'm talking about perfect intimacy. I'm talking about intimacy with the brethren and intimacy with God. And tonight, as we look into the text, we get some small sense of the intimacy God intends for us to share in the body of Christ and the intimacy that we are to share with Him. I have loved John 17. I love John 17. I remember when I was in seminary and I'd get down, I would go to John 17 and I would just read it. I would just read John 17 and count the promises and and all the beauty in it and all the the mind-breaking theology. It's just beautiful. It's profound. This is Jesus Christ praying for His own. And I love John 17. And, you know, Jesus could have just told us how much he loved us. But in John 17, you can feel it. If you really listen, if you really read the words, if you think deeply about the words, you can feel how much he loves his people. Verse 20, I do not ask in behalf of those alone. He's talking about the 11. We just got through praying for the 11 who are around him while while he's praying audibly. I do not pray for these alone but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, I just want to say, maybe kind of as a sidebar, I really like what Jesus is doing for his men right here. Because within a few hours, Jesus will be arrested. Peter will be trained, The other ten guys will scatter. And, and again, just in a matter of hours, they will see Jesus nailed to a tree. They will see him die. They will see him put in a grave so it looks like all hope is lost and you know what brothers and sisters if you if you keep your eyes locked on circumstance many times circumstance will tell you that all hope is lost but you know not you know what with god all hope is not lost all hope is not lost because jesus is saying to them you will bear fruit do you hear it many will believe there will be believers coming through these men these weak and fragile and scared men Some will come to believe through them. You hear what he's saying? And he's saying, there will be fruit. There will be fruit in your ministries. And if they're listening closely, they're hearing him say that that some will believe through their word. Circumstance looks bad. But what are we supposed to do as Christians? Are we supposed to be wringing our hands over circumstance? What are we supposed to be doing? Looking at God. That's right. Rejoicing In the fact that our God is God. And on our worst day, He's for us. We just got through talking in Men's Bible Study. That great text in Romans 8. God is what? For us. God is for us. These 11 guys will have fruitful ministries. Why? Because they're so impressive? Not exactly. Because God's God. Because God is sovereign. Because His Word never comes back void. Friends, this is why I'm in the ministry. I'm not in the ministry because I'm slick enough to convert you. I can't convert you. I can't convert anybody. But this Word can convert everybody. This is why I preach the Gospel. This changes lives. This changes lives. The Word of God changes lives as it is applied to the heart through the Holy Spirit. That's why I'm in the ministry. I'd still be a bean counter somewhere in Little Rock. If I didn't believe that, if I didn't believe that, God says their ministries will be fruitful. I love what, what Jesus says in John six thirty seven, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And if you read biographies of great missionaries, you will see this over and over and over again. These men and women believed in the power and sovereignty of God and his word to convert. I don't have to be slick and I don't have to be cute and I don't have to put on a show. All I have to do is be faithful to the text. God's word converts. God's word changes. This is what Jesus is saying. He's praying for his guys. They will have a fruitful ministry. And what did these guys? They did have a fruitful ministry. You and I are part of it. Right? We'll have to throw Paul in there too. But we're part of that fruit. These 11 guys, plus the Apostle Paul, turned the world upside down. And I've told you this a lot from this pulpit. But that's what our job description is to: to turn the world upside down, one life at a time as we share the truth with others around us. Look what Jesus prays in these next few verses. This is pretty mind-boggling stuff. Listen to this. Verse 21. That they may be all that they may all be one even as thou Father art in me and I in thee, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me, and the glory which thou hast given me I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may, may know that. Thou didst send me and didst love me, even as thou, excuse me, didst love them, even as thou didst love me. Did you hear the main thrust of the text? What's he talking about? It's that whole ten thousands times ten thousands thing. It's that one plus one plus one thing. He's talking about this perfect intimacy in the body of Christ. This perfect oneness. This perfect. Unity in the body and in the Godhead. I, these passages, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I feel wholly inadequate to even begin to explain what they mean. Um, they're so profound. This theology is so lofty and it's so beautiful. So how much oneness is Jesus Christ talking about? What does He say? Even as the Father and the Son are one, we shall be one with God. If, that doesn't, if that's not worship-provoking in your soul, I don't think you're understanding what He's saying. I don't think you're understanding what He's saying. Perfect, flawless, seamless, absolute, total oneness and intimacy with God. And Jesus says that they may be in us. Have you ever thought deeply about what Jesus is saying? That they may be in us. I heard one theologian, I want to say this carefully, but this theologian, he meant no sacrilege, he meant no irreverence, he meant no blasphemy, and he said it quite humbly. He says, It's almost as if, it's not, but it's almost as if, hear me, it's not, but it's almost as if the body of Christ becomes the fourth member of the Trinity. We are somehow, mysteriously, in Christ. We are in the Father. The Holy Spirit is in us. And I don't want to press this too far because I don't understand it, but I do worship at it. Somehow, mysteriously, we are in the God. We don't become God. We never become divine. There's a lot of false teaching out there about that. That never happens. But somehow, some way, we taste the glory of the Godhead. This is what uh, Jesus is going to say as we go down through the text. This is beautiful stuff. This is the kind of intimacy God intends for His children, His adopted children, to experience in Him. The intimacy that God has planted within us, the desire for that intimacy that God has planted planted within us, He's going to fill it up. He put eternity in the heart of man, and God's going to fill it up. God's going to fill your heart and your soul up by giving you Himself. This is the Gospel. God is giving Himself to His people. And I'll share with you I don't I can't explain this. I really can't articulate it. I can simply marvel at it. I can simply share it with you and I pray that you hear it and you worship. This is your inheritance. this is your inheritance, Christian. This is your inheritance. It's an awesome thing. so let me make a, let me let me look at verse twenty one here it says that they may be all one, even as, thou, even as Thou, Father, art in Me, and I in Thee, that they may also be in us, that the world may believe that Thou didst send Me. So, what are we talking about here? What, what kind of oneness and intimacy are we talking about here? And why, what is the fruit, what is the fruit of this intimacy? Did you see what the text says? What does the text say? Why are we to be one? Why, are we, While we're still walking the planet, while we're still the body of Christ, in these fallen bodies, walking, the fa- walking on this fallen planet, why are we to be one? The world may believe that Christ is the Son of God. Do you understand how profound this is? Do you understand the responsibility that I have to you to love you? and to be intimate with you in a spiritual way? Do you understand the responsibility you have as a Christian to maintain that oneness in the body? You know, when you look around at at what is called Christendom, you see so much division and so much strife. Friends, that is absolutely going against what the Lord Jesus is praying in John 17. We are to be one. When the world sees us, they're supposed to say... That's different. I don't ever see that anywhere else. I never see people love each other like that. I never see people get along like that. I never see unity like that anywhere else in the world. But in the body of Christ. It's supposed to be a supernatural thing. And we know it's not something that comes natural for us, right? It doesn't come natural for us. But here's where we're to submit ourselves to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus is praying. Let me make a theological distinction here. Positionally, we are one in Him. We are one in the body. That's positionally. What Jesus is praying for here is practically, experientially. Are you one with the body? Are you being one in the body? That's what Jesus is praying about here. He's talking, He's not talking about oneness in theory, he's talking about oneness in practice. And here's the big application for you and I tonight. Are you expending energy in your life to promote oneness in the body of Christ? Is this a priority in your life? Is this something you know you need to do as a Christian? Is this something you know that the Lord Jesus is praying for? That you would promote and I would promote oneness. And unity in the body of Christ you know there's a there's there's a there's enough theoretical Christians walking around I don't want us to be anyone in here I don't want us to be theoretical Christians what does James say about a theoretical Christian he's simply a hearer who's deluded But what about a practical what about what about a Christian who's who's seeking to promote that unity? What about a genuine Christian? What does James say about them? They are what? They are real doers of the word. They are real doers of the word. This is what Jesus is praying about. That we would not only be one positionally, doctrinally, but we would be one experientially. Okay? That's a big responsibility for us. He's not, and he's not talking about denominationalism and ecumenicalism. He's not talking about He's talking about the supernatural oneness between all born-again believers, okay? It transcends organization. It transcends denomination. It transcends the ecumenical movement. This is authentic spirituality, authentic oneness in the body. And so if we're going to be more than theoretical Christians, we're to take our cue from the Godhead And so the Trinity is perfectly one and what is the primary basis for the oneness of the Trinity? I bet you could guess this. If I I gave you a few minutes to think about it. Holiness and love. Holiness and love. And this is what you and I are supposed to be living in the body and before the world. Holiness and love. Is that your testimony out in the world? And is that your testimony in the body? Holiness and love. And we know we can't do it perfectly, but God calls us to be holy. We're to be holy because what? He is holy. And God calls us to love one another. We covered this back in John 13. And it's a great text. Remember Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you are to love one another if you, really, if you feel like it. Is that what He said? Are you to love one another if it's convenient? Is that what Jesus said? He said, I give you a new commandment that you're to love one another if it doesn't cost you too much? Is that what He said? He said, I give you a new commandment that you'll love one another if you're loved first? Is that what Jesus says? Jesus says, I give you a new commandment that you will love one another how much? Even as I have loved you... It doesn't get any bigger than that. It doesn't get any more passionate than that. I give you a new commandment that you love one another even as I have loved you. And what does the love of Jesus look like? The love of Jesus is free and it's quick and it's unconditional and it's constant and it's forgiving and it's persevering and it's laboring and I love this one. It's expensive. Are you showing expensive love in the body? His love is selfless and His love is sacrificial. You know what He said? He says the same thing over in John 13 that He's saying here in John 17. He says, By this, what? All men will know that you are mine if you really love one another. The men know that you belong to Him because you're loving the brethren and because you're living holy in the world. Mark it down. Every time you see division in the church, it'll flow from two things. The lack of holiness and the lack of love. Just mark it down every time. It'll be there. The lack of holiness and the lack of love. It will always be there. Those two things. So I thought I'd challenge you with that. How about this week a random act of love in the body? How about this week? You pray about it. And maybe that's the thing God's calling you to do, to pray for someone. Maybe it's something that this person will never know that you've done. But how about an extraordinary, random act of love this week? you know what? I'd like for you to really do it because I'd like for you to come back and tell me how it goes. And maybe it's not right for you to tell me. But I... bet there'll be joy in your heart I bet there'll be joy in your heart how about a random act of love look at verse 22 and the glory which thou hast given me I have given to them and I, I can't I can't really talk about this I don't understand this I don't understand how we somehow taste the very glory of God the glory which thou hast given me I have given to them and I'm sure I'm sure a good theologian could parse all this out for you and make it sound real understandable and real practical, but I don't want it to be practical. I want to worship. I want to be in awe of the fact that for a billion eternities, I somehow will be experiencing the glory of God. I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to minimize it. I'm not going to try to explain it. I just want us to worship. Friends, sometimes we're just supposed to worship. We're not supposed to try to explain every jot and tittle. We're just supposed to sometimes get on our face and worship God. I, it made me think when I read that. It made me think of what Peter said over in 2 Peter 1.4. That we are partakers. You remember the text? We are partakers of the divine nature. We are partakers of the divine nature okay I'll make one practical application here uh, we can deduce from John one fourteen what the fruit of this truth is supposed to be let me just read John one fourteen for you and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten from the father full of grace and truth do you hear your do you hear your job if you are experiencing the glory of God, as we sang in this, this tonight, if you're experiencing the glory of God in your life, what's supposed to be flowing through your life? Did you hear it? Grace and what? Truth. Is grace and truth flowing through your life? Listen to this. God's glory was manifested in the living, breathing, doing Son of God. Did you get that? God's glory was manifested in the living, breathing, doing Son of God, the God-man. And Jesus Christ's glory is to be manifested in the living, breathing, doing, Amy McCarty. in the living, breathing, doing David Leese. OK? And the, the living, breathing, doing, Andrea Bravo. How about you? And the living, breathing, doing Jim Albright. If God's glory is in me, I need to be living it, and I need to be doing it. God is to, as we've talked about so many times, God is to be manifest in our lives. God is to be manifest. He's to be made famous in our lives. Verse 23 is another one of these things I can't begin to understand. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love me, even as thou Excuse me, that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou didst love me. We've talked about this before, back in John sixteen. We talked about the love of God, how it's unconditional, how it's eternal, how it's it's infinite, how it's immutable. We talked about all these things. But do you see what he's saying? He loves us. How how does he love us? How does God love us? Even as he's loved the Son, <laughs> even as He has loved the Son. If you can't worship at that, I don't know what else to say to you. This is how deep God's love and how profound and weighty God's love is for those who belong to Him. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also who Thou hast given me be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory. And we've been talking a little bit about this. This is the fifth time, and I'm not going to belabor the point. This is the fifth time in this sermon alone that Jesus has called the redeemed, the gift from God, those whom thou hast given me. John, it's in the Gospel of John nine times. We're supposed to understand that in Christ we are a love gift from the Father to the Son. We're supposed to understand that. I'm not going to belabor it again tonight. We're supposed to get that. We're supposed to understand that. We're supposed to worship at that. Jesus says, Father, I want all these love gifts to be with me forever. I want them to be with me forever. And I want them to behold my glory. Remember what Eldridge and Curtis said about the human heart, that we desire intimacy, beauty, and adventure. And our text tonight is mostly about the intimacy that we have in the body of Christ, the intimacy that we have with God Himself. That's primarily what this text is about. But verse 24, we, we catch a glimpse of the beauty that God has in store for us. You see what he says, that we may behold his glory. If you go to the original languages, if you go to the Greek and you go to the Hebrew and you look up the word translated glory, you see that one facet of that is the beauty of God. God Do you know God's beautiful? Do you know it? If you really know that God is beautiful, you'll pursue Him. If you really know that God is the most attractive, alluring, and beautiful being in the cosmos, you will pursue Him. You will. David says in the Psalms, God shines in glorious radiance. God is beautiful he's inexpressibly beautiful beautiful he's revelation chapter 4 beautiful go read it the four living creatures were staring at god and they could not take their eyes off him and from the day they were created from till now how many billions of eternities in the past has that been they say holy 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 is the lord god and i shared this with you before but this is a perfect time to share it with you again i got about two more minutes i'm gonna wrap it up my seminary professor told me that, and I love this thought, You get, oh, this is awesome, he says if you went up and tapped one of those living creatures on the shoulder, do you think he would turn around? No way. No way. After a billion eternities, he's been looking at God, and there's still more beauty to see. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the thought I'm trying to plant in your heart and your mind? He's beautiful. He's infinite i want you to think about him like that and i want you to pursue him like that lewis says it like this we do not want merely to see beauty though god knows even that bounty is enough we want something else which can hardly be put into the word, into words and i love this to be united with and brothers and sisters, that is our inheritance. To be united into somehow mysteriously into the beauty of God. The be- he says to be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, and to somehow mysteriously become part of it. I think C.S. Lewis is he's on sound theological ground there. He's in John 17. He's in awe of what he's reading in John 17. And while I know there, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any adventure, as I have referenced earlier, there's no adventure in John 17 explicitly, but I will tell you that I believe it is there implicitly because knowing God is the adventure. Knowing God, walking with God, being with God is the adventure. All you've got to do is go read Hebrews chapter 11. There are no bored men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. They're walking with God. There's no... Bored men and women in Hebrews 11, they're walking with God. And let me just give you a personal testimony here. The more extravagantly I obey Him, the more awesome it is. And I, bet, I bet I could get testimonies from all around the room like that. The more I extravagantly obey God by faith, the more I lay it out there, the more real He is, the more awesome it is the more adventure in Christ there is. So, I want to challenge you tonight, Christian friend. I want to challenge you tonight to seek the intimacy that God has for you, the beauty that God has for you, and the adventure that God has for you. And it's in Jesus Christ. I want to challenge you to meditate upon His words. I want to challenge you to pray over His words. And then I'm going to challenge you to do them. I know I tell you this all the time. But it's because I love you. And I don't want you to waste your life. You've only got a few minutes on the earth. This is what the Bible says. You've got a few moments on the planet. And I want you to invest them in the kingdom of God. I want you to be rich. Not in the things of the world. That's passing away. I want you to be rich in the things of God. Let's pray again. Father, you've made us beings of almost limitless desire. We all know it's true. We all know that our hearts hunger and they thirst and they desire. Desire is a good thing. You wired us to desire. To desire, but Father, you you wired us to desire you. And oh God, I pray that we would be men and women who would desire you above all else. That Father, for that profound longing for intimacy that we would find satisfaction in you. That deep longing for beauty, we would find that satisfaction in you. Father, that desire for adventure, Father, to, to be part of a great quest, Father, that we would find that in you. Lord God, help us. Help us to be mindful that time is short on the planet. Father, give us faith. Give us faith. Father, give us the faith we need to, to extravagantly walk with your son. Lord, I pray that tonight, maybe tonight, maybe tonight, one person in this room would commit himself to You anew and afresh. He would walk out of here or she would walk out of here committed to You anew and afresh. Lord, use us up for the glory of Your Son. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Let's stand and sing uh, our closing chorus.